0: We're going to take a deep dive inside the hottest luxury brand in the market right now. This is AutoLine. A number of car companies have been celebrating their 100th anniversary in the last few years, and this year, it's Audi's turn. Most people in the United States would be surprised to learn that Audi has been around for 100 years. It's sort of a hidden German luxury brand that's been overshadowed for decades by BMW and Mercedes. But that's starting to change. Audi seems to be on the verge of a breakout in the American market. And it is definitely on a roll in Europe and China. You're going to be amazed to hear how well the company is doing. That's because my guest on today's program is Johan de the president of Audi of America, who has been the key architect of the brand's resurgence in this market. And joining me on my journalist panel are Scott Burgess from the Detroit News and David Welch from Business Week magazine. We'll be back in a moment to get you in on the details of why I think Audi's about to become the hottest brand in the luxury segment. Visit our website for even more great content all week long. AutoLine Daily, John's Journal, podcasts, and even more. So click over and get your all-access pass to the automotive industry at AutoLineDetroit.tv. From our studios in the Motor City, this is AutoLine. Here now is John McElroy. Welcome to our discussion right now with Johan de the president of Audi of America. Great to have you back here on AutoLine Detroit. As always, good to be here. Thank you, John. And also joining us, of course, is David Welch from Business Week and Scott Burgess from the Detroit News. Great having you guys here as well. Thanks, John. But let's talk Audi. I think you guys are the next hot thing in the luxury segment, especially in the U.S. market, probably globally, too. If I got this right, uh, your car sales are actually up this year. Not SUVs, but car sales. Uh, I think I just read, too, Audi was number one in Germany, beating BMW and and Mercedes, which shocked me to read that. What's going on, Johan? It it seems like the needle finally is turning for Audi.
1: We've really been following a very consistent strategy uh, globally. Uh, One that's focused on, of course, creating the finest products in the category in which we compete building the brand and building the the distribution network uh, to really enhance the ownership experience. And we've stayed absolutely on course. Uh, We've built up terrific momentum globally. Last year, we saw our 13th successive year of global sales records and profitability records. We broke through the one million mark for the first time. And uh, as you say, uh, year to date, um, this year, Audi is in fact the head of Mercedes-Benz globally and we're head of both BMW and Mercedes-Benz in Europe. And um, we are really also very disciplined on the incentive spend. Uh, The products are what's doing it for us, and um, people are recognizing this is a hot brand. Talk a little bit about what you have
0: done with Audi of America, because yeah, the products are good, but the products have been good for a while. It's gotta be more on the, the retail distribution marketing side that you've really got it going here.
1: We've touched on the product front as well, um, but particularly on um, retail distribution, we have invested quite heavily together with uh, our dealer business partners in upgrading the quality of facilities. We now have um, just shy of 130 exclusive stores uh, throughout America, which is roughly half of our network, and um, that's been an investment, you know, of uh, several hundred million dollars, uh, with more to follow. Uh, we've got um, over 15 new network development projects under as we speak, which I think is quite something given these economic times. But also on the brand front, um, we have um, some time ago uh, also changed our advertising agency. We wanted to take a little bit of a more assertive tone to our marketing communication um, and uh, also place the brand in um, a forum where it could could be seen to address uh, brand awareness. And so um, quite a heavy engagement in the Super Bowl. Uh, with the inauguration this year where we had uh, blanket sponsorship. I think uh, this the president's inauguration. The president's inauguration, that's correct. And uh, this is really helping to to drive people's perceptions of the brand. And the fact that we've got great cars uh, doesn't do any harm.
2: Johan, you know, the, the one criticism you occasionally hear uh, of the brand is that, oh, it's the A4 company or really, in fact, one of your competitors. Uh, and I won't name him because he'd, <laughs> he'd probably be embarrassed, but... Uh, so that, you know, Audi's cars are sort of Volkswagens dressed up for the ball. Uh, you know, how do you respond to that sort of thing? I mean, what, what more do Audi's offer than, than you know, sort of the, the sister
1: company, Volkswagen? We are part of uh, the Volkswagen group. But certainly I think this is a little bit of mischief to suggest that uh, the cars are that closely related. Audi is an independent and separate company. I think the people who would be most offended would be our uh, R&D team, the engineers who actually create and develop these fine cars. Um, We don't, um, even in in the way that the product range has evolved now, Uh, Audi has longitudinally mounted engines with Quattro Drive being uh, our our mainstay uh, drivetrain form. Um, The Volkswagen company uses transversely um, uh, mounted engines, and and that already rules out the possibilities for platform sharing. You clearly have uh, areas where you can share in, uh, to get the the economies of scale in terms of purchasing some components, you know, uh, wiper motors and, and, and door locks, this kind of thing, and I think all companies do that. But in terms of uh, the design language, the engineering, um, the positioning of the, of, of the brand is supported by, by the product substance. And uh, these are great cars in their own right. And I will tell you that uh, if you look at where the epicenter of Audi as a brand is uh, globally, uh, it's around the A6. The A6 is the world's largest selling Mid sized luxury car. We outsell the Mercedes E class, we outsell the BMW 5 series, and uh, perhaps if the executive that you refer to was aware of that fact, he might have a different opinion. It's <laughs> <laughs> a big seller in China, right? Yes. Very big in China, yes. And um, of course, uh, a part of our success that we have achieved um, globally and also here in the US is the fact that we are expanding into new market segments. Uh, and so the Q5 uh, is, a, is a great example, entering into a market segment where we've not been present before. And that is conquesting a lot of uh, customers from other brands and will help to spread um, the, uh, the volume of, of, of where we do business. Uh, the A4 certainly has been a mainstay in the U.S. and will continue to be, I think, for a long time. It's a great car for us. You guys have diesel and hybrids uh, in, in your arsenal
2: of vehicles to hit fuel economy and greenhouse gas regulations. We've got some you know, pretty tough rules coming from the Obama administration over the next decade. Where do you see that shaking out? Is, is diesel a better option for, for, for Audi uh, to, to hit fuel economy rules and still be true to what Audi cars are or, or do you see hybrids uh,
1: you know, being the more dominant technology mm. for your vehicles? I think we need to embrace all technologies. Um, Clean diesel technology is one of the core competencies at Audi. In fact, um, in in Europe, one out of every two Audi sold is a TDI, Turbo Direct Injection Diesel car. But um, we uh, think that with the latest generation of of, uh, clean diesel cars, you've got the ability to have an exhilarating driving experience. The torque characteristics and the drivability of these cars is just a reason why people buy them. And then you've got the added benefit of... um, 30% lower fuel consumption than an equivalent-powered gasoline car. And then for the environmental issues, uh, 25% lower CO2 emissions than a gasoline-powered car. You've got lower nitrous oxide emissions than a gasoline-powered car, and the same with particulate emissions. So all the things that people historically used to associate with diesel as being weaknesses of the technology have now in fact turned into strengths. and the important thing also is that uh, diesel has this compelling advantage over gasoline-powered cars under all conditions. Hybrids, which we are adding to our portfolio as well, have a, a commanding lead over um, gasoline-powered cars and very heavy stop-go traffic. But that doesn't, act, in fact, represent the average driving pattern of the American consumer. And so if that is your daily commute, uh, a hybrid is an alternative, and we will offer that but uh, anything um, less heavy traffic than that uh, diesel is a very compelling alternative and also very viable for the long term and so we think it is a technology that's too good to be ignored it's very viable uh,
0: except in this country we do not refine nearly as much diesel fuel as gasoline and and nowhere near what europe does i, I think Audi could probably have pretty good diesel penetration in its lineup, and Mercedes, and Volkswagen, and BMW. I'm not sure it goes beyond that much because of this refining issue. Does that matter? Can the German luxury brands and and this mass-market Volkswagen brand succeed in diesel if they're the only ones who really play in that playpen, as it were?
1: I think certainly uh, for the reason that you mentioned, um, we will not see diesel penetrate the U.S. market to the extent that it has done Europe, where I've already said, you know, half of the volume is is diesel. Um, But uh, for us, we imagine uh, a very, very viable scenario at around 15 percent of our mix. We think that's also where the market will go. And um, on the issue of um, refining capacity, we work with our technology partners Shell to um, uh, also create the quality of diesel that is necessary for us to hit the emission targets. And in discussions with them, we know that they have got plans to expand refining capacity. And if Shell are busy doing it, I'm pretty sure that some of the other competitors are as well, because they also see um, not only the benefits of diesel technology, but the real need for all the partners in providing transportation. And these are the energy companies too. They also have a role to play in helping to clean up the environment. It's not just the auto companies. And uh, that will be a big uh, source of uh, lower emissions for which this world needs. Would you like to see government incentives
0: uh, for consumers to purchase diesels because of the environmental uh, benefits that diesels bring?
1: I think what I'd like to see uh, from the government goes into two areas. Uh, One certainly is we need to recognize that new technologies, and whether you speak hybrid technology or diesel technology or the fuel cell technology, whatever it might be, they come with a cost premium. Uh, and it will take a long time uh, as expertise grows and as volumes grow to, to, to get the cost piece cost down. So initially, you have a barrier to entry through the higher uh, purchase price. And I've got to tell you, if there's one market in the world that's driven by um, cost considerations, it's in the U.S. And so the first incentive could be to find some way to help uh, lower that barrier to entry, um, in the same way that it was, in fact, done for hybrid cars. We've already seen a form of that with uh, the tax credits being passed through for um, uh, diesel cars which hit certain emission uh, and and, and fuel consumption targets in particular. Uh, And probably we could do even more than that. On the second front is also um, one that I I think just applies to common sense and good logic. If you have a technology which is good for the greater good of society um, in the area of, of, of low emissions in particular. Um, then you should be taking steps to have policies which support its use. And it seems uh, incongruent with that idea to um, then have higher taxation on diesel fuel than you have on gasoline. If you want to clean up the environment, which the administration says it has as a high priority, then uh, it needs to have an energy policy which also facilitates that objective.
0: Johan, as you mentioned before, you're extending your product line here. Let's talk about the low end of the market or the small end of the market, small cars, that is. How low should Audi go in in the sense that BMW's got the separate brand Mini, uh, Daimler has the separate brand Smart. They're hinting at maybe bringing the A-class car to the American market. Where do you see Audi's prospects for uh, uh, B-class cars and smaller
1: we have to remember, as the point was made earlier, that we are part of a large group of companies that has got um, manufacturers and brands positioned above and below Audi. And uh, it wouldn't really make much sense for us uh, to get into um, market segments that our sister company, uh, Volkswagen or Seat or Skoda, could serve quite, quite comfortably. Um, and so that is already a natural inhibiting factor. I was asked the other day uh, by a journalist who says, why don't you just create another brand below Audi? But, I mean, we have those. Um, We have announced in Europe our plans to introduce uh, the Audi A1, which is a uh, a compact but still very progressive and very high-quality car aimed at the city commuter. And uh, I could foresee a scenario whereby that car could ultimately come to the U.S. as well. But uh, we also have to do a lot of work still with um, uh, reinforcing the positioning of the Audi brand in the US. In Europe, um, social perspectives are different to that in America. In America, size is still somehow also seen uh, with a very direct correlation to price and to prestige. And um, I think that the Audi brand uh, is not ready for a, a, a really compact Audi in the US.
0: Do you think the image of Audi in Europe is the same as it's seen in the
1: US? No, I think um, that's one of the reasons why Audi is so successful in Europe, um, that um, the Audi brand is very, very well positioned and recognized as uh, one of the uh, top luxury brands, Um, large customer base, very loyal following, and uh, obviously very high brand awareness. I guess you don't get to be number one in the luxury car business in Europe if that's not the case. Um, And in the U.S., our um, level of brand awareness and um, customer footprint, if you like, is a lot smaller than uh, some of our other European competitors. And uh, those people who know Audi recognize it as a truly progressive and dynamic brand, modern cars with with a strong focus on design. Uh, But the majority of Americans don't know who Audi is, much less what we represent. And uh, that is our challenge still to... uh, to uh, bring across that information
2: what uh, what's the future of the luxury market and people talk about the baby boomers who spent a lot on luxury goods luxury cars over the past two decades home equities wiped out their 401k's are now you know 200 and a half k's and uh, <laughs> their investment accounts, retirement savings are, are you know being wiped out just as they're nearing retirement. Is everyone going to be you know who wants luxury going to be leasing a used Saab or is there going to be a, a real thriving luxury market once the economy bounces back? I
1: think there will always be people uh, who are the leaders of society, and the leaders of society are people who are dynamic achievers, high performers. They will get rewarded well, and they have discerning tastes. Whether they will be quite as many as we have seen in the past, I think uh, probably not. But uh, still a very, very substantial uh, number of people who will form a core of a luxury market that probably is one that's very sustainable. You know, part of the issue that we, we've just alluded to is that a lot of people have um, seen these aspirational luxury brands and probably stretched and reached very high to get into them. At the same time, um, maybe the manufacturers too have uh, endeavored to reach down a bit too far uh, through aggressive incentives to to ease that entry point. And it's really in the end something that's not sustainable. Mm-hmm. And so when you have these two um, complementary um, factors at work uh, and it all goes wrong, it goes wrong in a big way. The luxury market will stabilize at a smaller level and uh, these discerning individuals will always want to um, have the ability to acquire uh, um, luxury cars with uh, good engineering, good quality, good design uh, to express you know, their, their status in life. and uh, We uh, have to find a way to make sure that we always present a brand profile and a product range which appeals to their tastes. How much smaller are we talking about? I don't think the cars will, uh, you mean in terms of market. Mm-hmm. Um, the luxury market this year is going to be probably uh, between one billion and 1.1 million. Uh, which in itself um, is down from you know, 1.5, 1.6 million that we've seen before. And uh, we'll probably see it stabilize at um, around 1.2, 1.3 million once uh, we've seen an, uh, you know, a resurgence of, uh, of economic demand, just in line with the overall car market too. The car market used to be 17 million plus. It's not going to get there again in a hurry. Uh, part of that was driven by um, you know, aggressive leases, which in itself probably added two million alone to the natural level of demand where the price of entry into cars, uh, and I'm talking all brands now, uh, was in fact um, probably too low. That's why we have car makers today who are in financial trouble. You could only pay your customers to buy your cars for so long. Uh, it's not economically sustainable over the long term. So the market will settle at a smaller level and the luxury sector uh, will be as robust as it always has been. I'm confident of that.
0: Johan, there's been rumors year in, year out that Audi might build a plant in North America. Uh, Volkswagen, of course, has committed to building a plant in Chattanooga. Mm -hmm. Any chance that Audi would share in production from that
1: or would it look for a plant of its own? I think before one can speculate about Chattanooga, you've got to look at the concept of building cars in the US. Um, to merely ship your components over and assemble here uh, doesn't make much economic sense. The labor adds less than thousand dollars a car. You need to have uh, components sourced locally from local suppliers, um, and uh, you need to have economies of scale. And um, we would have to also, looking at then the American supplier base, find suppliers who have the technology which we generally use in our cars. Uh, so it's a far more complex an issue, and it means that we will have to probably get some of our suppliers in Europe to move and set up factories with us, and then they'll be looking for certain volume guarantees which the American market can't supply, which means we have to re-export from here. Uh, so it's a complex issue, and that is the reason why, I think after all these years, we still haven't taken a decision to, 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 to build a factory here. We uh, sell about 100,000 cars, and at 100,000 cars across all our car lines, it means that there is not critical mass in any particular car line that can really justify local manufacture. On the other hand, um, if we are to attain our long-term objectives uh, in the U.S., um, (coughs) we need to get to the point where ultimately, and I'm not attaching a year to this, it's more a directional figure. Uh, We need to get to a volume of around 200,000 vehicles. At 200,000 vehicles, um, I could imagine a world that involves manufacturing in the US for Audi as well. Whether that then needs to be uh, at the Chattanooga plant or, um, you know, there are many car plants being offered right now at pretty good value. Uh, or a completely new greenfield site uh, is something that um, is still uh, under investigation. We are uh, certainly by no means obliged to also go into uh, manufacture at the same facility with Volkswagen. Getting back to the point I made earlier, the fact that we don't share platforms uh, already means that there is no real benefit, uh, as one might have otherwise imagined, to setting up um, joint manufacturing.
2: You could always go in North Carolina, so you could be above BMW. <laughs> <laughs> hey, one other thing uh, that came
0: out this week is rumors that Audi's looking at reviving the Quattro, uh, the car that back in the 1980s, I think, really created the Quattro name, really delivered what that is all about, certainly in this country. But can
1: you tell us? Yeah, the original Audi uh, S1, or the Ur Quattro short wheelbase version, uh, is what, Uh, really highlighted Audi's pioneering use of high-performance all-wheel drive systems in passenger car applications. Until that time, it was kind of utilitarian for off-road vehicles. And uh, we certainly turned the world on on its head with that car, Uh, which is why our quattro system is so important to us today. And I think, um, as we have seen, uh, we're working hard now on the emotionalization of the Audi brand, and so we've brought out a lot of sports cars, uh, the, the new TT, the S5, the 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 R8, and I think um, this idea might be an interesting extension, also drawing on our roots. You know, it is uh, uh, our centennial this year, and probably is good to look back at the past, at some of the great accomplishments we've had, and see whether we could use them for the future but uh, no confirmation yet that the car is going to be produced.
0: Uh, He's saying that with a smile on his face, folks, and uh, I gotta believe he'd love to see a car like that in in this market. But Johan Denysen, thanks so much for coming in and bringing us up to speed with what's going on at Audi globally and especially Audi of America. Great having you here. Thank you. And of course, David, thank you for coming along and Scott, for you being here too. Really appreciate you you guys being here. And I'll be back in a moment with some closing thoughts. Visit our website for even more great content all week long. Autoline Daily, John's Journal, podcasts, and even more. So click over and get your all-access pass to the automotive industry at AutolineDetroit.tv. We let the cameras keep on rolling and we've got a lot more of our interview with Johan de from Audi. There's more information that you can get right now on our website, AutoLineDetroit.tv. And if you need more than a weekly program on this enormous upheaval going on in the industry, check out AutoLine Daily, our daily webcast of the latest news in the global automotive industry. You can find that at AutoLineDaily.com. And then we do a live webcast every Thursday night with public relations veteran Jason Vines and Mr. Auto Extremist, Peter DeLorenzo. Highly opinionated, highly insightful, that's 7 p.m. this coming Thursday. But that wraps up this show. For all of us here at AutoLine Detroit, thanks for watching. We'll see you again here next week.